would invite you to grab your pew Bible and remain standing. Please open to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 for our New Testament reading. That's page 961 of the Pew Bible. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. And I would invite you then to turn to Ruth chapter 2 as we consider Ruth chapter 2 this evening. It's on page 263 of the Pew Bible. Remember where we've been in the story of Ruth. We've gotten through Ruth chapter 1 and it's been a tragic story up to this point. Everyone's died pretty much in Naomi's life except for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And now they're back in Bethlehem, and Naomi's bitter. And we pick it up here at chapter 2. So congregation, hear the word of the Lord as it's read for you this evening. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she, sent, uh, and she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, or his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. 
The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and drink and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. So far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help in prayer. Our Father, as we come to your word again this evening... We're reminded of how powerless we are. Oh, Lord, we need your help. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, would you be pleased to glorify yourself here as your word is opened and proclaimed among us? Lord Jesus, may we see your mercy and your gospel uh, clearly again this evening. And, and Lord, cause us to believe and, and put our trust for life and death in your hands. Oh, Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, earlier this week I was talking with a few of you about what it would have been like for our ancestors when they came to America, you know, to get on the boat and sail across the Atlantic or wherever you're from. That was risky business. I can't imagine. (laughs) Some of you have immigrated to other countries. I can't imagine what that would be like. You just leave everything behind and land in a foreign place. 
I mean, to me, that just sounds crazy. That sounds nuts. It's risky. I talked to my grandpa. His family immigrated, and um, I asked him stories about that. And I said, Grandpa, what was that like? You know, he was in an immigrant church, and I said, what was that like when you guys were meeting other people that were moving in? He said, well, we would go down to the docks there in New Jersey, and we would, we would meet the folks as they were coming across, and uh, we would offer them a meal. And someone would preach the gospel to them. We'd invite them to church. Uh, we'd offer to hook them up with a job. Usually it was like floor scraping. And we'd say, you know, if you need a place to stay, there might be room in our basement. You could sleep on the floor. And they met these, these risk takers, these immigrants, with mercy. And it made such a big deal. It was, it was such a big difference for these, these people as they came across. And You know, as I was mulling over this passage uh, for this evening, I couldn't help but think of Ruth as a risk taker. I mean, she is taking big risks here in chapter two, huge risks, risks that you and I, if we were to take, we would be like, whoa, this is stressful. But she's met by a mighty man of mercy in the person of Boaz who, who meets her and shows her mercy. He shows her and takes care of her. And I think that's worth reflecting on. And then as Christians, you know, you and I, we all have to take a risk at the end of the day. We're all headed for somewhere. It's a lot riskier than going across the Atlantic. And we need to be met by mercy as well. So we'll reflect on how Christ does that for us. But, you know, as I was mentioning, this chapter, we meet Ruth and Naomi, and they are in a desperate situation. I mean, it's been tragic up to this point. It felt like everybody that Naomi loved had died, except for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She felt bitter, and you remember the end of chapter 1, she had her big meltdown. She said, I am bitter now. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says it to the whole town of Bethlehem. And then, remember there in, in 122, the narrator kind of contradicted her. He said, she's not completely empty. Remember, she's got Ruth, her Moabitess daughter-in-law with her, who swore her undying love. I'm going to be with you through thick and thin, is what Ruth said. And on top of that, they ended up getting to Bethlehem just in time for the barley harvest, which is pretty good if you're hungry. So... It, and then we get to chapter 2, and he's not quite done contradicting Naomi's bitter speech, is he? He just happens to mention, oh yeah, and she's got this relative named Boaz. Let me just throw that out there. You can hear him, you can almost picture him winking as he says it. And it, He's called a worthy man in our, uh, in our pew Bible, and that's a good way of describing it. It's it's got a lot of uh, connotations in the Hebrew. One translation calls him a wealthy man. It's the same word that they would use for a warrior or a mighty man. And the idea is that Boaz is like a pillar of society. He's that type of guy. He's a great guy. You would say in our, in our lingo today, he's a real great guy, you know, Boaz. Real great guy is who Boaz is. And of course, uh, Ruth isn't too far behind there in verse 2. I think Ruth is a pretty great girl from what we've learned about her. Real great guy, real great girl. 
This is good. And we see her in verse 2 taking initiative. That's really highlighted. Uh, She says she wants to go glean in a farmer's field if she can get favor from this man, if she can find grace in his eyes. And Naomi says, go, my daughter. And one thing that's not clear at first is, was this like a a risky move by Ruth to go do that? And I don't think it's initially obvious to us that it would be, because we know, if we know our Bibles, Leviticus and Deuteronomy tell us God's people are commanded to allow the immigrant, the widow, the poor, those who are in trouble, to come and glean. Gleaning is just taking the scraps that the farmer leaves behind. They're supposed to be doing this. But I'm not so sure that it was happening all that often in these days. Remember, This story takes place during the time of the judges, and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, which means nobody (laughs) is doing right, probably. They're all doing wrong. And the idea we get in verses 8 and 9 is that this is probably pretty dangerous. Boaz is like, I told the young men not to touch you. You're okay. And then in verse 22, you hear Naomi, don't go to another field. You might get assaulted. And so I think Ruth is really taking a big risk, and she's stepping out in faith here. And maybe gleaning had gone by the wayside. Maybe there's no good guys left in Israel. There's no farmers who are going to show grace to the widow or the immigrant. Maybe Ruth and Naomi are just kind of living on a prayer, as it were. They're desperate, and desperate times call for desperate measures. But Ruth isn't going to take it sitting down. She's motivated, and she gets out there. And the text really highlights that in verse 3. Notice the words that the narrator chooses. He says, very redundantly, he could have just said, and she gleaned. No, he says, and she set out. She set out, and she went out. And she set out, and she went out, and she gleaned. He's redundant. He's saying, this woman was taking initiative. She was active. She wasn't just sitting on her hands at home saying, oh, woe is me. She's getting out there and she's getting after it. That's exciting. And and, uh, then it just says she so happened upon Boaz's field. Just so happened. As if by dumb luck. She chanced upon a chance and there she is. Of all the fields in Israel, she ends up in Boaz's field. I wonder why that was. Now, God was providentially guiding Ruth. He had his hand on Ruth. She may have been taking risks, but God was with her all the way. You know, boys and girls, this is like the type of risk here. Ruth is walking a tightrope over a pool full of hungry piranhas that are jumping out trying to you know, get her feet But God's got her hand, and he's not going to let her fall. He's guiding her exactly where he wants her. That's what God does for his people. And then verse 4. Behold, here comes Boaz. Great introduction. We see Boaz, he says, The Lord be with you. Greets his, his workers in the name of the Lord. Great first impression. And his workers respond in kind. They say, The Lord bless you. This is a great place to be. Of all the fields you could end up in, the one where the Lord is being blessed, that's great. And Boaz immediately notices an unfamiliar face in his field. It's like, who's this 
who's this girl over here? Who, I don't recognize her. And his foreman tells her, you know, this is Ruth the Moabitess. And the next thing you know, Ruth and Boaz are talking. And he says, take as much food as you need and we'll protect you. Don't worry, I've got you now. You're okay. There in verses 8 and 9. And Ruth is just absolutely blown away by his kindness towards her. Why are you doing this for me? That's what she's saying. Why are you doing this for me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a Gentile. You're a Jew. Why would you have grace for me? And Boaz says, he heard about what she did. I heard about what you did for your mother-in-law, how you left everything, and you've come to take shelter under the God of Israel. You see, she's being justified by her works in his eyes. He sees her faith by what she's doing. He can see she's got faith because she's acting this way. And it's reminiscent of what Abraham did. Abraham left everything. He was justified by faith, and he left everything and followed God where he was supposed to be. And he recognizes this girl is a lot like Abraham in that way. Similar story. And she's come to find protection under God's wings now true God. And those wings shielded her all the way to Boaz's field. And in fact, as Boaz is shielding and protecting Ruth, he becomes like a real-world picture, a physical picture of the wings of God in Ruth's life. What a privilege for us to be used that way. And Ruth is just, again, she's overcome by the kindness of Boaz she says, you've spoken kindly to me. Literally, you've spoken to my heart. She's melting. You've spoken to my heart. And then at lunch break, he sees Ruth sitting off in the corner all by herself. Maybe she didn't have food. Maybe she's munching on the grain she's gleaning. And he says, no, no, no. You come here. You don't sit in the corner. You come to my table. You're one of us. The, the meal was like a way of saying, you're part of the group. And he's not, he's not going to let her be second class. He's not even going to let her bring her own food to the table. He says, you eat my bread. You drink my wine. I'm going to give you roasted grain. And she has all she can eat. And then some. She takes home leftovers. She's blessed on top of blessed at the table of Boaz. And then Ruth gets back to work and Boaz tells his guys, hey, you know, I want you to toss some prepackaged grain, some sheaves out for Ruth so that she goes home and she's not hungry, you know, accidentally. And she's doing okay. Boaz understands the law. The law said you're to let them glean. He not only lets her glean, he understands the point is that the poor don't go hungry. And he wants to go above and beyond the letter of the law to keep the spirit of the law. That's how good a guy Boaz is. He's not just checking boxes. He's checking up on his neighbor and loving them as he loves himself. And she gleaned until evening. And she went home, and it's, she's got a lot of grain. That's the point here in verse 17. We're not really sure what an ephah of barley would equal today. I saw differing reports. It could be two and a half gallons of barley. It could be five gallons, six gallons, 50 pounds. I like to picture Ruth kind of coming home like Santa Claus, you know, a sack of barley on her back, just trying to fit through the door is the picture. 
When she gets home, she gives her leftovers to Naomi, and Naomi's like, whoa, where did you glean today? I didn't think I'd see you again, is the connotation. And how much grain are you bringing home for us? This is amazing. What man took pity on you? And then the kicker comes. It was Boaz. And what did Naomi say? May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What a difference between chapter 1, Naomi, and chapter 2, Naomi. Like one day, everything just gets flipped upside down. Hope comes flooding back in the picture. Just one day, a, a little bit of barley changes everything. One name could change everything. And hope is just brimming. It's overflowing here in this chapter. And they're working safely, and they're living together through not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest. And they're taken care of. And you know, that's a wonderful story. It's lovely. But you could turn the TV on and watch something similar to that, if that's all I'm going to say about it. I mean, you could go to a synagogue, and they could tell you that story. What? This is a church, though. Where do we see Jesus in this? Because, brothers and sisters, I'm convinced this is a story not just about Ruth and Boaz, but this is a story about how Christ is romancing and taking care of his bride, the church. And by extension, each and every Christian here today. And I'd like you to reconsider it with those eyes of faith as you see Christ here caring for you, because we do not live by bread alone. We don't live by barley alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So just like Ruth and Naomi felt hopeless and helpless, we felt abandoned here in this world. We feel vulnerable to predators, to abusers. You could go wandering through this world. You turn the TV on, and what do you see? People are selling hope, 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 and it's false hope. They're trying to eat their own flocks. They're trying to take advantage and abuse the sheep. And if all things were equal, that's exactly where you and I would be today. We would be stumbling into chicanery and charlatans, men who want to abuse cults. In fact, there's only one field left in this world where a widow can glean. And that field belongs to Jesus Christ, the greater Boaz. We can glean hope in his field. Come to his word. Find all the hope you need for life and death in his promises in the gospel for you and me. How did we end up here? I was just reflecting on this with a couple of you as well. All the places we could be tonight, all the churches we could end up in, and God led us here in Vandalia, Ohio, to this church where the gospel is preached clearly and we see Jesus and what he's done for us, where we're made free by his blood. What a blessing to think about God's hand guiding you, not just to any old field, but to the true field of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing blessing to reflect on how God has chosen and guided you here tonight. 
So let's go then and let's pick up the field of God's promises here in the word for us. And let's hide that word in our heart. Let's grab hold of all the hope that we can, just like Ruth did. And we noted how active and daring Ruth was. She risked everything, gleaning that barley. So too, in spite of all the dangers that assault us, where to go and glean? Where to go and risk everything? to get to that field, and we're to be active and meticulous in how we scour that field morning until evening. There's still hope to be found. We haven't reached the bottom of God's hope in the gospel for us yet. None of us have. He's got all the spiritual food that we need here in the Word, everything for life and godliness. And we're to really actively stake our whole lives upon it. People are going to ask you, you mean you actually believe this stuff? You actually believe this? What, are you kidding me? I would say, yes, actually I do. And I'm risking everything, everything I am, on Jesus Christ and who he says he is, because he's true. Run to the field of Boaz. Run to Jesus Christ and glean like your life depends on it, because it does, because we need hope to live in this world. To whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, Lord. And what do you think Christ is going to say when he sees that woman in the field gleaning? You think he's going to say, who do you think you are? You're gleaning all my barley. You're taking all my food. you got enough for today. Come back tomorrow. No. Christ is going to embrace. He's going to say, quick, I'm going to throw you extra sheaves. More than you can finish in a day. I'm going to give you leftovers. You're going to be blessed upon blessing. You're not going to be able to reach the bottom of the blessings I have for you. Christ is going to be overjoyed to see his people taking him at his word in good faith. He's going to say with Boaz in verse 8, Do not go glean in another field or leave this one. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels to drink. He's going to add his Holy Spirit to enliven your heart to illumine your heart, to give you hope. We need that hope. And he said to us as well, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I shall in no wise cast out. He's not going to cast us out for coming to him and his word. He's not going to cast out the one who's risking everything to find him, the pearl of great price. Come to him. Take him by the, the hem of his garment even. Suffer the little children to come to me. He'll never cast us out. Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be filled. And then, of course, we're going to bow before him just like Ruth bowed before Boaz. Lord, how have I found grace? How have I found favor in your eyes? Seeing I'm a Gentile, I'm a foreigner. I didn't belong to you. Why would you have grace on me? How can it be? Christ is going to answer us just like Boaz answered Ruth in 11 and 12. I heard what you did for your mother-in-law, abandoning everything. You abandoned the world and came and sought refuge under my wings. Make it explicit. What did Christ say? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. He spreads his wings over those who come 
and seek refuge in his name. He is our refuge and strength. The mighty fortress is our God. He's not even going to let one of your hairs fall from your head without the will of his Father in heaven. He sets the angels over us, legions of angels watching over us right now to protect us from all alarms. Jesus is watching over and protecting his bride here in the world. And like Ruth, we're going to repeat our astonishment at this. In verse 13, we see it again. She's shocked that Christ would look on her with favor, even though I'm not one of your servants. Why would you? I'm not even one of your servants. And yet Christ has comforted us. He's spoken kindly to us. He's spoken to our hearts in the gospel. While we were not yet his servants, yes, even while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. The godly died for the sinner. He speaks to our very heart in the gospel. And not only that, he's not going to let you just live on gleanings. He's not going to say, I'll leave you over there. You can be a second-rate citizen over there, but don't come too close. No, he calls his bride to the table of his love. He says, come, you who have no money, you who have no bread, you who have no wine, no food, I'm not even going to let you bring your own food to my table. I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to give you wine. I'm going to give you my very life. Nothing will you be able to do. He just rests and he feeds his bride because it's all grace. Nothing that you and I can do can ever amount to that. It's all free. He forgives freely. He nourishes us in this life freely. It's not about what we've done. We now work out of thankfulness because of the free grace that he shows us in the gospel there at the cross. We go home then, like Ruth, with blessings upon blessings, more than we could ever finish, leftovers even. And he throws us extra. We can say with the psalmist, my cup runneth over, because of all the blessings Jesus has given us. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And I hope you can see this is clearly a picture of what Jesus has done for us. It's beautiful what Boaz did for Ruth. And it's beautiful what Jesus has done for us. But Christ's gospel not only saves us, it remakes us as his bride into the body of Christ so that we we take hold of God's word, we study it, we cling to it, we risk everything on it. We're like Ruth in that way. But then, by God's grace, he transforms us to be a mighty man of mercy, just like Boaz. And we're to take home those promises of God. As we see here in our passage, Ruth takes home the promises of God to Naomi, the one who was hopeless and helpless. She was dejected and bitter. And what does Ruth do? She takes home the gleaning. And she says, I got food for you. You don't want God, but I got food from God for you. That's a picture of what we're to do, brothers and sisters. If you've tasted the power of God's promises in the gospel, you're to bring it home to those who are hopeless, who need to hear the good news. Bring it home to your relatives who've walked away. They need to hear it again. They need to hear what God has done for you and me. 
How is it that the church overcomes? It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Share the good news. It's infectious when we do this. It really brings home God's grace and makes it concrete. Think of how Boaz was concretely a picture of God's wings there in our text. Praise God for the ways he has concretely covered your head, your head with his wings. Not just out there, but how has God been faithful to you personally? That's a powerful thing to talk about with your brothers and sisters, with your friends. I have been so blessed by talking to folks about their testimonies. It's one of my favorite things to hear. Tell me about what, how God saved you. Tell me about what God's been doing in your life recently. How has he been answering your prayer? We don't need to do this in a braggy sort of way. But what an encouragement to hear about how God is always faithful to his people. It reminds me how God is watching over me. And I really think, you know, sometimes we can be in trouble of downplaying the importance of testimonies. And and it it can be a reaction against, you know, this overblown thing where everybody's got to have this crazy testimony, right? I was doing this, that, and the other. I was, you know, a hitman, and then God got a hold of me. Wonderful. I love hearing stories like that, by the way. I don't mean to denigrate that. I love it. It's an amazing story. But every, every story of salvation is an amazing story. Amen? Yes, because it's about God's grace. And it has an electrifying effect on me, I think, when I hear about how God does this. You know, you can go and you can talk to people about the gospel. You explain the logic. You say, X, Y, and Z is true. This is what God did. And as long as it remains up in the clouds... It's true, but sometimes people can ignore it. You know what's a lot harder to ignore? When you say, oh, that's true, X, Y, and Z, here's what Jesus did, he came and did this, and he did it for me. (laughs) The guy standing across from you, he did it for me. It just got real. It just got real. I can't ignore this. Maybe they walk away, maybe they're uncomfortable, but they can't ignore God's grace in your life and my life. That's a powerful witness. And we're called to do it, especially for those who have walked away. See, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. You maybe were brought up in the church. You thought you had heard it all. But you know me, and God got a hold of my life. And God's been faithful to me. He's answered my prayers. You need to come back. You need to hear the good news again. You need to join the church. Jesus died for sinners. Come home. Bring the promises home with you. And beyond even just bringing home the promises in word form, we get to do this with acts of mercy as well. That's what Boaz is doing here. He brings mercy to those who needed mercy, who were hopeless. They're physically. He's protecting and providing for Ruth while she's in danger. It probably would have been easier for him to just say, you know, get out of here. You're eating all my food. No, he enfolds her. And he says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. That's a powerful witness. That's a way of bringing home the gospel physically. I love that. And, And God created Boaz, boys and girls. He made Boaz as a man as a man to provide and protect for the vulnerable. Boys, God is making you a man. You're going to grow up one day, and you're going to be strong. Why is God doing that? Why did God make men strong? Was it so that you could bully your sister? No. 
so you could protect your sister, so you could protect and provide for those who need help. That's what God is doing there. And it's a beautiful design in nature that God made men and women in this way. It's something to celebrate. But how much better is God's design in the church that in Christ, as we're engrafted into him by faith, as the body of Christ, he's making each and every one of us into a mighty man of mercy, just like Boaz. That now we, as the church, every man, woman, and child gets to be like that. We get to be the ones protecting and providing for those in need, those who need mercy around us. That's what God does with his church. We become, as the church of Christ, God's physical wings of protection to those who are in need around us. That is a high and holy calling that we're all called to. What did James say? What's pure and undefiled religion? It's to protect the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the battered woman. To visit them in their affliction. Showing mercy. It's a powerful, visible word of the gospel. You know, you don't even need to speak English yet to understand it. It can cut across all barriers. Doesn't care what you look like doesn't care what language you speak, a cup of cold water, helping people find a job, ESL classes, a place to sleep for the night. It's a powerful testimony. Just that meal has an amazing effect. And we get the privilege of doing that. Let's not turn a deaf ear when we see those come to the church who need help. Maybe they don't speak English yet. Doesn't matter. I bet Ruth had quite the accent, being from Moab. Let's help those with accents. Let's help those who maybe look a little different, who need help. Let's be careful to help the widow and the poor and the immigrant today. Because, brothers and sisters, we have been called to be merciful, and we've also been called to risk. And whatever place in life we are. We're in both places all at once. Right? At one hand, we're Boaz. The other hand, we're Ruth. We need hope. We need gleaning. We go to God's word. We trust the gospel. And then God transforms us to be like Boaz and to show mercy. Because we all have to risk it in this life. Each and every one of us. And we're going to take a long voyage one day. And it's going to be a lot longer and a lot more dangerous than going across the Atlantic to come to America. We're going to be going across the Jordan. And you're going to have to risk everything. You can risk it now, or you can risk it later, but you're going to have to risk it. Be like Ruth. Risk everything on the word of Jesus Christ. Put your heart in his hand. He's spoken to your heart in the gospel. Trust what he's done for you on the cross, paying for all your sin to forgive you. And then let us go. Let's show mercy. Because we've been to the field of promise. We've seen Christ. And no one who has come to the field of Christ and his promises goes home hungry. So let us feed. Let us feed. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that while we were yet without hope and without God in this world, you showed amazing 
mercy and kindness to us in the cross. You speak to our hearts over and over again from the cross. You say, Father, forgive. And you feed us with your very flesh, Lord, your very life. This is amazing grace, Lord. Who could deserve this? Help us, Lord, to to give you everything we are. Help us to risk all that we are. Put our heart in your hands, Lord, and help us to meet those who are risking their lives now. Help us to be the ones who show protection to the widow and the orphan, the immigrant, the poor and the powerless, Lord. Let us be those wings of yours to those who need help in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.